For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Holloway, and I'm a friend of Nelson. We go, we go back a few years, and when he's out of town, I, I told Mr. Law this morning that I, I've never been here when Nelson was here. <laughs> I, I hope he is the pastor. I do hear him online, <laughs> so I don't think that's a recording. But I want to talk to you today about the love of the Father. In 1989, I had an experience with Father God that changed my whole paradigm. You've heard that word before of what the Father is like. It changed my view of my wife, changed my view of my children. There's a picture right there. Changed my view of how I see my parents. My mother's gone to be with the Lord. My father's still living. He can hardly speak anymore. And I, I tried to to tell him all those good son things, you know, like, Dad, your mind is fine. You know, you, you've got to stop cursing your brain. He's almost 90 years of age. And I talked to him this week and said, Dad, did you watch the game today? And he said, well, son, I had the TV on, but I, I couldn't see the players. And that gets hard when you're a son who desires intimacy with your father. Thank you. And I went back a long ways because I'm an adopted son. Uh, I was brought into this world in the month of August of 1954 from a lady who had severe problems emotionally and physically. As a matter of fact, last month I found out who she was. And that was a tremendous, tremendous day in my life to know who my mother was. Of course, I knew who my adoptive mother was, but when you get to know your natural mother, things begin to happen in your life. It's a, it's a turning point for every adopted child. And if you've been adopted this morning, I want you to know that God has adopted you. My linchpin verse, and I, I'm going to be real personal today because I actually forgot to I didn't forget. I did thought I sent my notes, but they didn't get here, so I'll, I'll get to them. Psalm 27.10, that's not in the, in the notes that I gave you. But this is a verse that David prayed. He said, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And I don't care what type of life that you've had on this planet, there is a father in heaven who adores you. I'm not talking about a, a, a doctrine or words on a, a page of a song. I'm talking about literally, experientially, knowing the love of the Father. And I think that's the ultimate revelation of God. We see in culture today that, in my opinion, the number one problem in society is fatherlessness. That's the number one problem. I work in an elementary school, and I see fathers coming up and trying to be fathers to their children amidst the things that they have to go through. But going back to, the, to the, uh, the fact of being adopted, you see, when you're adopted, you have a primal wound in your spirit at birth. See, I was left in the hospital for eight days without a parent. And that affected me emotionally. Uh, even though most people, can I take this off and hold it? Is that okay, brother? Thank you. Even though most people 
can I be real with y'all today? Most most people, uh, and even the medical profession. If you're a doctor here, I can I can all, all only say what I experienced. The wounding in my life happened between the ages of infancy to two years of age, pretty much. Because when you're adopted, you number one, you don't get to bond with your your parent because they. My mother actually went home on a Saturday. I was born on Wednesday, and she went home on Saturday, but I was taken from her on that Wednesday and placed in a room in a crib that said no name on it. And that's that's not a good thing, to not have a name and know who you are. And so as an infant, your spirit is alive because God said that when he created you in your inmost being and knit you together in your mother's womb, he gave you life. So your spirit, even though your cognitive brain is not functioning, your spirit knows what's going on. It, it's inevitable to know that if you're raising a child and, you're, and your child is in the crib and you let, let them stay there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, or you let your child go without food for three days, it's going to affect them. It's going to affect them their entire life. And when I realized that I had a father in heaven that knew exactly what was going on when I was in that crib and knew that I had been abandoned and rejected by my earthly mother and father. Matter of fact, I don't know my father's name yet, but I will in about a month. That's going to be amazing to know my name. I mean, my name is Rob Holloway, and my dad is Lewis Holloway, and I, I understand that, but I want to know what my other name was. Well, did you know in the Scriptures, in Ephesians, we'll, we'll start there, brother, Ephesians chapter 3, this is the most uh, mind-boggling uh, Scripture that I want to start with about the ultimate revelation of God as Father. This will set your heart on fire. If you'll really take this in and soak this in, think about it and not just, oh, there's another scripture about God the Father. But I want you to see what this text says. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Just, just think about that just for a minute. This is Paul's second intercessory prayer to the church at Ephesus. Now, it's the first prayer to the church at Morris. When you bow your knees, who do you pray to? You pray to the Father. And later on, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about reasons we can't come to the Father because we had earthly fathers that didn't treat us like the Father in heaven. He says, before the Father, I bow my knees. That's a mark of humility. When you come into the presence of your Father, it's like a little child. I want you to picture your children, those of you who have children. If you don't have children, you've got grandchildren. I want you to picture a little toddler when Dad comes home from work. The Father comes in the front door. The toddler runs to Dad, and the Dad reaches down and picks up that child bows his knees, looks at that child in the eye and says, I love you. How was your day today? And, you know, that's, that's what the picture I get when I read this passage. I, I see Paul saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And look at verse 15. From whom 
every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Do y'all see that? That's a picture of the planet earth that we live on with seven and a half to eight billion people. And every one of those seven and a half, eight billion people have been named by Father God. And there's a, there's a teaching that's going around that says that Christians, because we've been adopted into the family of God because of our birthright in Jesus, are the only ones that are children of God. Well, I, di- I differ with that doctrine because that scripture right there says that every family in heaven on earth derives its name from God. They just don't know it yet. Every family on heaven and earth derives its name. He's the progenitor. He's the father of every human being on the planet. Whether you're an atheist, whether you're a, a Islam, whether you're Jewish, whether you're a Baptist, wh- whatever, the father is your father. Now, we have, we have an understanding of being adopted as sons and daughters because we, we believe, and I'll get to this in a moment, that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. But here we see in this passage the ultimate imprint and impact on every feasible aspect of creation. We have a Father. That word Father there is pater, P-A-T-E-R, and the word family is patria, which is a family term. And you see where we get messed up is that we don't see this group as a family. Maybe you do. I hope you do. But mostly in the institutional church, we see it as a religious organization. But according to the Word, we have a Father in heaven, and this is the family, superseding our natural family. See, our spiritual family, that doesn't mean we, we stop relating to our, our natural family. It means that this becomes the family of God. When you become a member of the body, You become a member of the family of God. And we have fathers in the family. We have mothers in the family. We have brothers in the family, sisters and children. And we relate to each other as a family. And the reason the church is so dysfunctional is we haven't been healed of our first family issues over here. Then when we come over here to this new heavenly family, we do the same things we did over here. And as a pastor, when I was in full-time ministry... I related to the sheep in the same way that I related to my Heavenly Father when I felt abandoned. So I would minister out of abandonment, and that doesn't work very well. Because <laughs> I would leave those churches after about two years. Because I said, well, that's it. I moved my wife 17 times in the first 18 years we were married. <laughs> that's why she's not here today. <laughs> not, not really. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, we, we're, we've got to work through those issues. But I want you to see the revelation here that this tells us who the Father is and how we were created. Now, let me move on. The universe and the fatherhood of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, you guys are great. They did this in a few minutes. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then it says in 1 John four sixteen, 
we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is, say that with me, love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we're, we're given the opportunity to abide in the love of God. Because the love of God flows through us. In Romans 5, 5, it says, For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, is this, a, is this an intellectual love? Is, is this a love that, that, say, a man for his wife when he walks in from work and says, Honey, I love you. You're, you're a good person. Is dinner ready yet? No, this is agape. It's, it's, it's a... It's the intrinsic worth of the other person is in your mind. They are worthy to be loved unconditionally. See, no matter what their behavior is like that day. You know, psychologists tell us that every man or woman that works outside the home, you know, when we first come home, we have to have about a three to five minute chill out time. You know, because we've had a hard day at work and if you've got small children at home and the wife's at home, been with the children all day, the father comes home and the wife starts going, well, let me tell you what happened. Johnny did that. Johnny did this and Cindy did this. And the man goes, well, hold on a minute, honey. Let me get my breath. I'm, I'm kind of worn down. Just, just a minute. Let me. But he says God is love and the love of God abides in us whether we're tired or not. Now, what I do in my house, I'll tell my wife, honey, I'm really tired right now. Can we talk about this issue in about five minutes? Let me kind of chill out. But I, I want you to see this in this text that God is love, and that's an experiential kind of love. And that's, that's where we want to get to this morning is when I tell you about my experience with the love of the Father, I understood that God is love. I could say it with my mind, but when I experienced it, it changed the way I saw everybody. See, the last time I was here, I talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how you really know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You love. That's it. I mean, you can speak in tongues if the Lord gives you that gift, or you cannot speak in tongues. But if you have not love, you're what? A gong and a cymbal, clanging cymbal. You're nothing without the love of God. See, you can... You can uh, Practice all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can have prophecy that will move mountains, faith that will move mountains. You can say, speak to this mountain, be thou removed, and it go into the sea. You can have all the gifts of the Spirit operating in you, but if you have not love, you're nothing. I'd rather meet a, meet a, uh, uh, a friend that's loving his wife and family and loving those that are outside that doesn't have their doctrine exactly right. Because you can take a person that loves and teach them doctrine. It's hard to take a person that, well, I won't go into that. Teach doctrine and doesn't love. So the universe and the fatherhood of God. Number three, all creation responds to the Father. Did you know that? That's, that's incredible. Let's li look at these scriptures. Psalm 104, 19. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. How many of y'all know that the sun doesn't have to think about when to set? Because God put it in the sun for the sun to set. And tonight it'll set a little bit earlier than it has before. Amen? That's good. Five o'clock. He counts the number of the stars. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. 
That'd be a God I could worship. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he literally, and I looked on reasons to believe this week and found out there's several billion trillion stars in the galaxies. I, I stopped after I was reading for about an hour. I said, that's enough. I'm not going to go into all of that. But God numbers and names the stars. Look at Psalm 148.8. Even the turbulent elements obey the Creator. Look at it. Uh, Psalm 148.8. Did I give you all that one? Let me look it up here. All right. Fire and hail. I had to say that four times. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm from Oklahoma in the south. It's better to say fire and hail. Hail. <laughs> Snow and clouds. Stormy wind. Saying what? Fulfilling His Word. Fulfilling His Word. Psalm 104, 25 and 27. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There's a lot of animals in the ocean. They're all created for God. And look what they do. They all wait for you to give them their food in their season. And then he goes on to talk about the birds. Not Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, but the birds. Do you all see that in 1963? Those of you on the planet, I was nine years old, and I watched the birds four or five times. I was a sick old kid, let me tell you. I think I was still looking for mom and dad. That's why I had to watch the birds because I didn't feel valuable. And Oh, my goodness. Matthew six twenty six. Do you all know that you're more valuable than birds? That's good to know. Look at the birds of the air. I want you to do that when you go outside today. That they don't sow, they don't reap, nor gather into barns, yet your father feeds them. Are you not worth, worth much more than they? Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now look at this next text in Luke 12, 6. It's kind of confusing. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Well, the first text, go back to the other, uh, if you can, can yeah. Uh, it says, two sparrows sold for a penny. Now go to the 12, 6. Now he says, five sparrows sold for two cents. You get four, and you get one free. <laughs> you see that, don't you? Four, and you get one free. Well, my goodness, that's how the Father is. He gives you more than enough. My goodness, if you went to Publix and you could get that kind of deal, you'd go shopping all the time. But the Father gives us more than we need. He not only meets our need, but He gives us more than we need. You see, He owns the cattle where? On a thousand hills. If you need something, just go ask Him. He's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. If you need your bills paid, go ask Him. Don't go ask Alabama Power. Go ask the Father. If your son or daughter is in college and you can't pay, pay for their tuition, ask God to provide the tuition. All my children have gone through school, and this last child that I had, he's all expenses paid for four years, and I'm a janitor. It's unbelievable. I didn't have to ask, ask for a loan or ask for credit. I mean, on my salary, I just asked the Father, and he gave us $10,000. And you know why? He gave it because He loves me. 
And I said, Father, I can't send this last one to school. I don't have the money. And so what Father God did, he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you how I'm going to do it, son. He said, you remember when your son went with you to clean that building? I said, yeah, I remember. Well, that man's a millionaire. Well, that's good. Well, go to him with your son or let your son go to him and ask him if he would give him a scholarship for cleaning his building with a broom. Guess what? Yeah, I'll give him $10,000 a year for four years. And my boy was 12 to 15 and 16 years of age. Both of my sons got scholarship from this gentleman. My other son's a police officer. He's, and he's studying to be a lawyer, and one day he wants to be a judge. I hope he's going to make it. I pray for him a lot because I watch bad press on TV about policemen. God is a father. See, I had a poverty spirit on me as an adopted child, and I lived in a neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had a swimming pool, and we had uh, two, be- three bedrooms, and I, uh, my dad didn't make that much money, but I, I wasn't hurting for anything. But yet I couldn't receive the Father's love because I didn't understand. See, my first father left me. So I perceived that my father wasn't going to meet any of my needs. And I had to make, make ends meet. I had to work two jobs. I worked three jobs when I first got out of, out of uh, high school and went on to college. And I found out that I, it's not bad to work hard. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's what the Scripture says. But I don't think God wants us to work from 5 a.m., till midnight, seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day. We never see our kids. We never see our wife. Are you women that work that much? Because he's a, he's a father who provides. And you're much... Listen, if, if God can feed a raven and a sparrow, well, he sure can feed us. Not only that, Jesus came to earth to reveal the Father. Now, that's some good news. You know, I know a lot of people in the church that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but they haven't met the Father. See, that, that's the... You know, I was saved for a long time without meeting the Father. I knew Jesus as my friend. I knew Jesus as my brother, but I didn't know the Father. See, when you come to Jesus, you come to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when people talk about salvation, that's only the first step. We live, and y'all have seen this in the series that Nelson did, in the kingdom of God. Jesus never preached about himself. He preached the kingdom. So there's got to be more than just receiving Jesus. That's the first step. But Jesus came to reveal the Father, and I've got to hurry up. John 17, 6. Folks, this is my life message. I could teach this for about six months, so you're getting a, a, a Rob abbreviated version. Seventeen six twenty six. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. He's talking to who? He's talking to the Father. He's talking to the Father. I've made your name known to them. I've made your name known to them. I've made your name known to them. We said at the beginning of the message, we have the name of the Father. Family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I've made your name known to them. I'll make it known so the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. 
You hear that? The same love the Father has for Jesus is the same love that He has for you. That'll let you sleep at night. (laughs) Let that feed your spirit. I mean, Jesus had the perfect love of the Father residing in Him. So therefore, we're in Jesus. So we have that perfect love of the Father residing in us. What a revelation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is not the destination. When I first came to Morris, I had to find out the way to come. But if I would have just known the way and not come to the destination, I never would have made it here. Do you know how to get to Morris? Someone would have asked me. Yes, I know the way. Well, what about the truth? Yes, I know the truth. Morris does exist. And I know about the life. There's life in Morris. There's life in this, in this body. Don't let the enemy, I, I feel impressed to share that this, this body is full of life. This community needs that life. This community needs that abundant life to be poured out in Morris. But you see, if I only do know the way, if I only know the truth and I only know the life and I don't come to the destination, which is relationship with the Father, then I'm only bringing people part way. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, He spoke long ago, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. The literal translation, and you take out the word His, it is the Son. He's spoken in the Son. He is the Son. Jesus is a Son of the Father. And guess what? You and I are sons and daughters of the Father. Listen, if you'll, if you'll just take this truth, this one truth of the ultimate revelation of God as Father, it will change your entire life. He appointed heir of all things through whom also He made the world. You mean the Father didn't make the world? This is my Father's world. Well, yes. And yes. (laughs) Jesus and the Father are one. The Scripture says Jesus created the world. And the Father created the world and He breathed life on this planet. Then it says in Matthew 11, 27 and 28, the revelation of God as Father through Jesus All things has been handed over to me by my Father. No one, listen to this, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. (laughs) You've got a neighbor or a friend or a loved one or someone you're in contact with in your workplace The only way that they're going to come to the Father is if Jesus reveals the Father. The only way that I came to a revelation of the Father was the fact that Jesus chose to reveal Himself to me and to you. There's a little boy at my school. His name is Graham. 
Graham is in the third grade, and I fo- Graham is in the third grade. I followed his journey with Jesus all the way from kindergarten. The first time I met him, it was in kindergarten, and he was working the March Madness, the March Madness brackets. In, in kindergarten, he and his dad were doing the brackets. Now he can articulate about his interest in going to Auburn University. We, one of my colleagues asked him one day, well, you're, he, he said, Graham, where are you going to go to college? And this boy's in the third grade. He said, well, my, my mother went to Auburn and my dad went to Auburn. So Tom, my friend, asked Graham, where are you going to go to college? Expecting him to answer, well, I'm going to Auburn. He said, well, I'm still weighing out my options. Then, then, then one day I, I said, I said, Graham, how's your relationship to God? Do you, do you believe that he is who he says he is? He said, well, Mr. Rob, I'm about 99.987% sure that God exists. Okay. Well, can I pray for you right now? I was in the middle of the lunchroom cleaning garbage off of the floor, and I said, well, let me just, let me just ask the Father to reveal himself to you today. Is that okay? Yes, sir, you can do that. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's how easy it is to witness. The Father will reveal Himself in these last days. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming great and terrible day of the Lord, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. This passage is one message by itself, but let me just say quickly, Elijah, the prophet, is coming back again metaphorically, literally, however he's going to do it. He's sending that spirit into the earth to reveal himself as father so that the fathers are turned back to the children and the children are turned back to the fathers. It's a good word. It's a good word. Now, what keeps people from knowing the father? I don't have time to go into all of these. You can, you can write these five down if you'll write them real quick. And I'll come back someday and maybe go over them. The reason that people don't know the Father is, number one, you had a performance-oriented Father. Number two, you had an authoritarian Father. Number three, performance-oriented, authoritarian. You might have had, a number three, a passive Father. Number four, an absent Father. And number five an abusive and aggressive father. We'll cover those at another time, but those, those five areas, and there's actually seven that I've been able to find through the years, and what your perception of Father God is related to those five areas. And you'll find it out, because in mine, I had a performance-oriented belief system, and it really wounded me as a, as a pastor because I was performing to gain God's approval. And next time I'm here, I'll share that with you. Now, what are the benefits or results of knowing God as Father? It gives you a sense of personal identity. 
you are God's beloved. Number two, it gives you a healthy understanding of your self-worth and value. Number three, it gives you an understanding of heaven now. Not the sweet by and by on that beautiful shore. You have it now. Father, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in. We're calling heaven down here. Well, you're not at my house. You don't know what it's like over at my house. It ain't heaven at my house. Well, yes, it is if you're there. Doesn't matter what's going on around you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Brother, I'm, I'm skipping around, so I'll get there. The benefits of knowing God is you got a sense of personal identity. It gives you a healthy understanding of your self-worth. Heaven is your permanent home. You have full, complete, and total security. Let me tell you a story, can I, real quick? I worked for a company called the Birmingham Parking Authority. God moved me to Birmingham, Alabama again in 1987 and placed me in a position where I could learn about the authority of the Father. I'm going to move into sort of a prophetic metaphor here, if you can hear me. I was moved to Birmingham to learn about the authority of God as Father. So he sent me to Birmingham to park in the Birmingham Parking Authority. All right? Stay with me. And I was in this parking authority, and I was going up in different levels. And the deck that I oversaw was a seven-level deck. He began to show me about the seven levels of fathering. It's sitting in my notes, but it's truth. We move in levels of fathering. You fathers, if you're a young father, you're going to move in levels. This body is going to be raised up, God says, that there will be some fathers that he's going to raise up because you've got children and infants coming up that need spiritual fathers. So he sent me to Birmingham to learn about authority because I didn't understand about authority. Then I bought my father's house. You're, you're, you're getting it. I moved into the father's house. The first week I was there, I took all my baseball pictures and tore them up because the enemy came and attacked me and told me that it was all a lie. That my father had never loved me. It was all a, a sham. And I almost lost my wife. At least I lost her for a few days. She didn't know what to do. So I had to tape all those pictures back together. And then he showed me. He showed me the teams that I played on. I played on the pioneers. That was a picture of me being a pioneer in the kingdom of God. And then he sent me on the pilots. And I was a pilot in the kingdom of God. And then he sent me on a journey to show me that I was on the tigers because I would be a warrior in the kingdom. And he had a plan for me all those years. And then I played on the state championship baseball team of Barry High School in 1972. And we won the title because I was a persevering young man and could do those things that God was calling me to do. And he moved me into the Father's house to show me it's not about religion. It's not about the institution. It's about a family and a father who loves the family. Amen? And then finally, after I'd been with the company seven years, 
that teaching was complete, and he promoted me into security. I got promoted to be the chief of the security of that company. Do you see the progression? That's the progression of the Christian life. You come to Christ. You're a little child. You're an infant. But then you step over here and you become an adolescent or a young child. And then it's all in the Bible. The Greek words are all there. Then you become an adolescent. And then you become an adult. And then you move into security. But see, what we're supposed to do as parents is we're supposed to move our children into security at the beginning. I was a very insecure little boy because I didn't know who my dad and mom were. But now I'm a very secure man of God who knows who his father is. I even know who my natural mother is. And I'm about to know who my natural father is. But I know who my, my spiritual father is. He's the one that created me put me together. So I've moved into a place of security, and finally it changes your motivation for service. You know, you've heard the old saying, well, Aunt Ginger has been teaching Sunday school now for 38 years, but she hates children. (laughs) Well, what's she doing down there? Is that clock right? Is it 10 after 12? Oh, good. I, I thought something had happened. You see, what did I say her name was? Aunt Ginger. <laughs> you know that I'm making that name up. Aunt Ginger was motivated to serve out of a need, not because she was secure in her identity. She did it because no one else stepped forward. Nelson had to call 32 people to try to get them to serve over here. No, when you meet the Father, you want to serve. Listen, the progression, the progression is simple. Sinner, slave, son, servant, spiritual father. That's how it goes. That's it. And you can read the prodigal son. That's how the, the progression goes. We're, we're no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters of the living God poured out for the world, and our motivations to serve are because we love God. Not that we love God, but that He first loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? For our sins, and we pour out that love to everybody else. So you have a motivation to serve. I'm going to finish this up by talking about Thomas Wolfe. He says, The deepest search in life, it seemed to me, The thing that in one way or another was central to all living was man's search to find a father. Not merely the father of his flesh, not merely the lost father of his youth, but the image of strength and wisdom external to his need and superior to his hunger, to which the belief and power of his own life could be united. Ed Peorick, who was instrumental in in praying for me in 1989 to receive the love of the Father, said this, God has placed within every human being a need to know Him as Father and to experience His perfect love. Our search begins early in life as we look to our natural fathers for such love, yet so often it's not to be found there. That's a horrible thing to know that your Father doesn't love you. Man, I'd love you if you got all A's. You got nine A's and one B. Get that tenth A, okay? And I love you. Now, the Father may not say that, 
But that's a performance-oriented father. Unsatisfied, we seek all that this world offers to make us feel loved. Ultimately, however, there's nothing that can take the place of the father's love. We now live in what many are calling a fatherless generation that learns for this missing love. At this crucial time, the father is revealing his tender love to his children. I want to finish this up by just sharing with you that's the story of how I met the father. It's very brief. I mean, it's a lifetime experience, but in 1989, my wife and I went to Jacksonville, Florida to attend a conference by Ed Peoric, and Ed moved in the presence of the father, and he, he said he wanted to impart to us, those of us who were attending, the love of the father. Well, I knew the love of the Father by the book and by my head, but I didn't really experience it until that night. And Ed invited the presence of the Father to come and reveal his love. And I went down in a heap. I felt so much liquid love pouring over my being that my wife said, you've changed. You're loving me differently. It was amazing. And it wasn't that I had lost my salvation. I just had experienced a new love that I'd never had before. And then about 12 years ago, about 11 years ago, I was praying with a prayer counselor, and she said that while I was in the womb of my mother, I was being uh, jostled around, and she saw a, a, a picture in her mind of of Father God being present there, and, and this is scriptural. The, fa- the Father created my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother, mother's womb. His eyes saw my unformed body. The Father's looking at me, and she said, at that moment you withdrew in your spirit. Now, this is, this is kind of tough, but it's, it's the truth. In your spirit you withdrew as an infant, and you did not not want to relate to the men in your life because they were going to abandon you. So my whole life, up to 45 years old, I never could relate to the men on a personal level because I thought they were going to abandon me, and that's why I went from church to church. The men in my life didn't know what to do with me. Well, I had made a vow that men could not be trusted And so I repented of that vow, and the Father again came on me in power and healed every wound that I'd ever had for 45 years in an hour and a half, right there. In an hour and a half, just took it away. I had pictures. Have any of y'all ever seen pictures, as Nelson talked about, prophetic pictures in your mind where you see a picture? I saw every one of those men And I forgave them, every one of them. And even my own father, I saw him carrying me through the snow. I saw him carrying me up a hill. I saw him taking me to the bathroom when I was five years old at uh, Grand Canyon. I saw him crying over me at the age of 14 when I ran away from home. I saw all these pictures of Father God through my earthly father. And two weeks later, at 50 years of age, my father came all the way from Oklahoma walked down in my basement and said, Son, I'm here to bless you tonight. Fifty years. I've been a pastor since I was 19 years old. Never had a blessing of a father. Ever. And you know, my dad is not a great 
long prayer. You know, he, he prayed about a two-minute prayer. He said, Father, I just ask you to come and bless my son whom you love and I am well pleased with. My goodness. Took my breath away, literally. I got on my hands and knees. My father put it was like a, like a, a King Arthur movie. You know, when the dude puts the sword on the knight. And that next week, I had dinner with my father and my two sons, three generations of men sitting together in a restaurant. I was overwhelmed. And you know, I say all that to say that every person on the planet needs a blessing from a father. You see? See, we have people in roles of fatherness. We have coaches. We have teachers. We have bosses. But we need fathers. Children need fathers. You fathers, you need to lay your hands on your kids all the time. I'm talking about all the time. When you see them, I bless you, Johnny, in the name of Jesus. You will succeed in whatever God has placed in your life to do. You have the identity of your father. Come here, let me give you a hug. Then when you have to discipline them, you do the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad that you did that, son, but I love you anyway. And I made a lot of mistakes in that area in discipline. I, I disciplined in anger, and I had to go back to my adult children and let them know. Of course, they're tired of me coming back to them now. They, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you just keep going back to them and, well, I'm sorry I missed this game. Or, sorry I missed that recital. But I, I actually got to all my daughter's recitals, and... We, we used to take her at the age of 12, and we, we had a slumber party at our house, and I pretended I was Burt, Burt Parks and had all the girls come down the aisle. Here she is, Miss America. Had them come out, and I had a little girl. She's not a little girl now. She's 30 years old. Come up to me at a wedding recently that I knew, and she said, Mr. Rob, I remember that. And I believe that God knows that I'm beautiful. That's what you dads need to do to your daughters. You need to tell them they're beautiful, gorgeous. I mean, the little girl that's seven, our granddaughter, that's another level. The other day I was walking my granddaughter, who's 18 months old, in my kitchen. I was overwhelmed. I'm holding this little baby, and I just started weeping in the kitchen. I said, God, what is this? More measure of my love. You see, that's, that's what the world needs. They even sing about it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. Should I try out for idol? You know, that's, that's what the world needs. That's what Morris needs. They need the love of God. Shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Go do it. Be dangerous this week, church. Go share the love of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, you're not only a God of holiness. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.